Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. My guest today, Mark Schaefer, is going to talk about his books, writing process, and how businesses can survive the COVID-19 pandemic. As the executive director of Schaefer's Marketing Solutions, he offers his consulting services to businesses. He's also a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. Mark has worked in PR global sales and marketing for more than 30 years. He's the author of six best-selling books and is an internationally recognized keynote speaker. He's also the co-host of one of the top podcasts on iTunes called The Marketing Companion. Listen as he shares his insights about how COVID-19 is changing the way we reach out to customers. We're excited. We've got Mark Schaefer today on the Marketing Madness podcast. Mark, thank you once again for jumping on with us today. I am delighted to be here. Madness is the word. That is. It's, it is. It'll be the word all week and probably next week, too. That'll probably be the yeah. keyword. A little bit of madness, a little chaos involved, obviously, as well. So probably most of my audience already knows who you are. But why don't you give us a little background on where you're from, where you live at? Let's give us a little details here. Well, I've really had a great career. I spent most of my career in marketing, working for a a Fortune 100 company and started my own business about 12 years ago. I am a marketing consultant. Marketing strategy is really what I love most of all. And I love to write. I've got a popular blog called Grow and I've written uh, eight books. My new book is called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. I've got a podcast called The Marketing Companion. I teach at Rutgers University and speak. So I do a lot. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. And as we're recording this, it's springtime in Tennessee. And it's one of the most beautiful places to be at this time of year. So it's a great, beautiful spring day here. That's awesome. And a a lot of people don't know this, but the class that I teach at UCLA, we actually use your book, Known. That was the basis that we brought the curriculum. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, you actually spoke at the class. We appreciate that. Well, that was cool. And, you know, I know that you're really into the, you know, personal branding and how that leverages itself in the marketplace today. And that's a very key idea. And it also sort of rolls into some of the ideas that I have in the new book, Marketing Rebellion. The two books are almost sort of like chapter one and chapter two of a longer story. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, you've written eight books. I have one book that I've written, and it's I'm on page nine. So that's about how far I am in my book process. I've been talking about it for if I had a dollar for every time I talked about it, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't even have to write it. I could just retire at this point. But tell us about that process of obviously you've written eight books and mm-hmm. obviously a lot of more bestsellers. Let's talk about that a little bit. And I definitely want to talk about Marketing Rebellion because I've heard some good things about it. Well, you know, writing is a very difficult process, writing a book. It's an excruciating process for me because you know, I don't have a plan to write books. I mean, there's, I have no strategy to write books. This book has to start with a super big idea. It's kind of a unique idea. And where my ideas come from is just really sort of observing the world and talking to people. I get to speak and consult with companies all over the world. And also I get introduced to a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting companies through the work I do at Rutgers University. And when I start to hear questions and themes that sort of provoke my curiosity, things that I can't answer and things I don't understand, I sort of get obsessed with starting to try to understand it. (laughs) And it's not obsessed in a healthy way either. It's like a dog chasing a tennis ball. It's ridiculous. It's like (laughs) frothing at the mouth. I got to get to the bottom of this. And when I figure it out, then that sort of becomes the idea behind the book. You know, for Known, which we just talked about, the 
The question really was, can anybody become known? In this world, that is definitely competitive advantage if you're known and other people aren't. And, you know, I asked some of my friends, I said, you know, can anybody become known? And they said, you know, I don't know. Maybe you need like some sort of a special sauce or something. So, you know, I was curious just to figure it out. And I, I ended up doing a lot of original research. I interviewed 97 different people, which is, of course, is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> in different fields all around the world. And I found that indeed there was a pattern. There were certain things that everybody did without exception. And that kind of the core of the book. And for Marketing Rebellion, the book we're going to talk about today, the real question was everywhere I went, I was hearing marketing professionals say, I just feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. Our marketing doesn't work like it used to. I can't figure out, I can't put the pieces together. And my original hypothesis was that technology is moving so fast that we just, you know, we're, we're overwhelmed that we can't keep up. And so I started doing research and started writing. And as actually about one third of the way through the book, when I had a realization, I was wrong. <laughs> and I had to start over because what really happened, Shane, and technology plays a big part of it, obviously, but you know, it's a confusing time and a fast-paced time and the technology has moved ahead. But more importantly, our customers have moved ahead. They've moved mm -hmm. to a different space. Traditional advertising and marketing just doesn't work like it used to. People don't see ads. They don't believe ads. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And so the new marketing mindset today really has to be, how do we join that two-thirds? Because you can't buy your way in. It's taking place on social media. It's taking place on review sites. It's taking place with face-to-face -face conversations. It's taking place with influencers. And a brand used to be what we told people it was. And today, a brand is what people tell each other. And so we sort of, so the control has moved from companies to consumers, and we have to figure out how to become part of that in an effective and sustained way. And that's really the question of the day. It's like, how do you do that? Because I've also heard a lot of the same things that people go, it just doesn't seem like the things that we used to do work anymore. Right? right. And now it's like when you start looking at that and you start kind of investigating, obviously, from what you've done halfway through one book, you're like, wait a second, that's not the deal. This is what the deal is. Now I've got to start over. It's like, man, one of those things. But what you're saying is like, how do you get involved in your book talking about being more of a humanistic type thing, right? Where it's going to yeah. be more of a humanistic thing of like, hey, quit trying to be a marketer and quit trying to sell and go in there and, and build relationships. Well, I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. If you think about the thousands and thousands of products that you buy in a year, how many of those products do you really have a relationship with? I mean, let's be honest. So in some cases, people absolutely feel they have like a relationship, a very personal relationship with a lot of big brands. But I think the bigger idea is to sort of respect how the world operates today. And that is the customer is the marketer. Hmm. The customer is the one who's telling their friends and their neighbors and their social media buddies of what they're looking at, what they're seeing. And I think we need to really, I call the book Marketing Rebellion, and it's a rebellion in two ways. Number one, consumers are rebelling against us. They're tired of being abused. I mean, they said, look, you have got to respect me. Stop this spam. Stop these robocalls. Stop this stupid direct mail, literally my mailbox. <laughs> respect my time, respect my life, respect the environment, respect my privacy. And old school sales and marketing, if, if you take a step back, 
we do a lot to abuse people. Yeah. And the book starts out with a little bit of a history lesson that shows for the last 100 years, every time companies take advantage of consumers, the consumers fight back and they always win. And so that's part of the lesson here is that the consumers are going to win. We have to learn how to connect to them on their terms, not our terms. You know, our marketing should be about them and their story not necessarily about us and our story. We need to make the customers the hero of the story. We need to, number one, stop doing what people hate. You know, if you're doing things that people hate, you're a consumer too. You know, if you're doing things that people hate, you know you're doing this things that people hate. Stop it. Get out and talk to your customers. Find out what their true really needs are, their unmet and underserved needs in this new day, and then double down on that. You know, I spend a lot of time in the book going through these sort of foundational human needs. You know, our customers are crying out for help in a lot of different areas these days. And we just can't keep doing this the same old stuff and expect it to work. Yeah. You know, the companies that catch on. And by the way, Shane, I'm really inspired by a lot of younger people today. Millennials, Gen Z, they're starting their own companies and they are really connecting in, in a much better way, a much more humanistic and healthy way than we ever did in the old days of, of sales and marketing. Yeah, I think it's because you have these old stale, these pillars of sales and marketing that people think yeah. are still the pillars, right? And you have the younger generation, they're like, I don't believe in any of that, right? I understand right. what my people want and, and how exactly. I want to be sold to and how I want to get information. And so I think it's, exactly. it's important to listen to that. I remember I talked about this. I used to work in a call center. This was many moons ago, but I remember I, I absolutely hated it because I was calling people pretty much at dinner time. So I was the guy that every time I sat down with my wife and my kids to have dinner, that was the call that happened, right? And I hated that guy. And I used to always harass him and do whatever. And then I turned into that, like only because it was a friend of mine that was like, hey, will you help me in my call center, kind of get things organized? So I want to jump in and kind of get an experience of doing it. It was so funny at the end of each week, they would like, we'd have the manager that would go, all right, this is how many calls everybody made. And they'd be like, hey, John, you made 400 calls. And hey, Tim, you made, you know, 380. And they'd be like, Shane, you made 49. 49 calls this week, buddy. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, I got to be honest. Like, And I, I wouldn't necessarily tell him that, but I'm like, I didn't obviously stay there too long. I told my buddy like, hey, it's just not for me, man. Like, yeah. People hate these calls. And, and I just, yeah. I get it that you need to be told a thousand times to get the yes. And mm. that's the way you want to run things. That's awesome. But for me, I'm not, I'm not going to get to a thousand probably by the end of the year. And you probably don't want to continue paying me because I'm just not that guy. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I did learn a lot through the sales process and all that. But yeah, I think the thing is, is it really comes down to the, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like, if you don't like it, if you don't like being harassed or you don't like this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, then why are you doing it to other people? Like expecting yeah. a different result. I mean, you're going to find a very small percentage of people that haven't been spammed to. And so you're trying to find that small people that get confused, yeah. you know, click on I your stuff. I think your example with the call center is a good one because, you know, that's sort of the same business model of spam, right? It's like, you know, you call a thousand people and you get one but you've bothered a thousand people. Yeah, yeah. And, and the same goes for spam and robocalls. And, you know, I mean, I'm starting to really pay attention to the kind of direct mail we get. And, you know, some of it is just, it's so wasteful and so irrelevant. And, and I think that's a symptom of the sickness in marketing today. We're over-reliant on technology. Technology has become the enemy of great marketing because it's made us lazy. Hmm. We want to hide behind our dashboards because it's tangible and we can measure a mention or a like. 
and has prevented us from doing the things that we need to do to be great marketers. I mentioned in the book that you know I was inspired to go into marketing when I took my very first marketing class and I opened up my book in the university. And like most of us, that book was Principles of Marketing by Dr. Philip Kotler. <laughs> and Dr. Kotler says, marketing, he has a bunch of definitions in the book, but he said, marketing is a combination of psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Marketing, essentially, if you think about this definition, is all things human. But how many people think about it that way today? You know, they're obsessed with their MarTech stack. They're obsessed with, you know, their email campaigns and optimizing their SEO or whatever. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying there's not a place for all of that. There is. But in our hearts, that is not what consumers want today. And I firmly believe with every fiber of my body that in the end, truly, the most human company will win. The companies that learn to use technology to take down barriers instead of erect barriers between themselves and their customers. So talk about that a little bit, right? Because I mean, I think that's when you say it, it makes total sense. I think that, you know, trying to figure out how to do that, like other than obviously sending out a thousand emails and you know looking at your 3% and hoping that you get that open rate, like how do you make it so your company is more humanistic or you kind of look at things from like the outside in instead of being in the middle and just, you know, because we're all stuck in this day-to-day of what to do and this is what you look at. You look at these dashboards, like how do you pull yourself out of that and say, okay, let's think about this from a third party or, or I mean, is it you hire a consultant to help you come take a look at this stuff? Like, what would you recommend? Oh, I recommend that people just hire me. Obviously. Of course. I mean, other than that, after, <laughs> after you've already that. been maxed out. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell a little story from the book. And I think this is a story that really shows the symptom of the sickness in marketing today. So, I have this friend who is also one of my marketing heroes. He's a guy named Martin Lindstrom. Hmm. And Martin truly is an anthropologist. And he's written this book called Small Data that Hmm. I highly recommend. And Martin is the kind of guy that, you know, he'll go out and he'll go into people's houses and he'll go into people's workplaces and he just observes and he makes these small little observations that lead to big insights. So he was giving a speech in New York City. And there were 5,000 marketing executives in this audience. And he said, how many of you have had a face-to-face conversation with one of your customers in the last year? And 19 people raised their hands. Now, this is a good illustration for a lot of reasons, Shane, because you've probably seen the same headlines that I have, where the role of chief marketing officer is under attack right now. Mm-hmm. Big companies like Coca-Cola and Johnson & Johnson have eliminated the role of CMO. Now, if marketing is the lifeblood of the company, like I believe it is, if you don't have customers, you don't have a company, hmm. how in the world can the role of CMO be under attack? And part of the reason is that there's this dissonance between, you refer to it as the old school expectations hmm. of what marketing is supposed to do, and the new school expectations of what our customers really want. And Martin makes a really great point. He said, You know, the role of the CMO today has got to be sort of the glue between the voice of the customer and every department in your organization. And they have got to go out there, you know, constantly and they have to know what is going on and what is the trend and what are competitors doing and have these conversations to be able to represent this. Another way thing that we're seeing in in the media a lot is there's this idea that the CMO should be the CXO 
that it should own the customer experience, a 360 degree experience around the customer. Same sort of idea, which means you have to adopt this mindset. You just do. And I, I mean, I don't really tell people what to do. I mean, I respect the people listening today, your experts, you know, what works, what doesn't work. But what I want to do is just sort of, I want this book to be a wake-up call, to help you to see the world as it really is and introduce new options to make you more successful in marketing. And it's, by the way, this is not like Mark Schaefer's opinion of the world. This is all based on solid research from McKinsey and Accenture and Deloitte and Harvard and MIT that just shows in a conclusive and profound way, the world has changed and we've got to adjust. Well, especially now, right? I mean, not only marketing does everything, the world is constantly changing. And that's the thing is I think if you're not, you know, it's the old thing they say is like, you know, the only, the only constant is change, right? And if you're not going and looking for that next thing and trying to figure that out, I mean, I think that's the hardest part of marketers, right? And the fact that the CMO position and those kind of things are under attack, it's, it's something else, right? I mean, because last time I checked, marketing is what brings in the people, right? But I do yeah, think I mean, there is an education side of that that needs to happen. You know, I got to the fortune of studying under Peter Drucker when he was teaching at Claremont Graduate University. And one of his favorite famous quotes is that marketing and innovation is like the heart of the company. Everything else is overhead because you have to get customers and you have to retain customers through innovation and everything else sort of supports that. And so I think marketing is more vital, more vibrant than ever, but it is going to be obsolete and people are going to become less useful if they don't get this wake up call of where the consumers are today. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this a little bit because obviously we've got you know the, the wake of marketing right now. I know obviously as this recording as we're recording this today, we've you know had a lot of things in regards to the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have anything in regards to? I mean, you know, obviously life as it is has changed in the last week or two tremendously, right? I mean, here in the U.S. and obviously the world um, now everything's shut down. I mean, I remember they have a speaking event here in Vegas in one month, and they just called and said, "Hey, Vegas is literally shut down." So we're we're getting right. these kind of notifications. What would you recommend in regards to marketing? And I understand that we've got you know these things that we need to educate ourselves on, but in regards to marketing in the current environment, like how do you see things playing out in this? I know it's once again we're at the beginning stage of this, so it's not like you have maybe you do have a crystal ball, and I'd love to borrow it right now and tell the audience like what how you see this whole thing playing panning out. Well, I think the central message of the Marketing Rebellion book is exactly what's needed, mm. and that is this: the most human company wins, and so. You know, right now we're just smashing every rule book. We're smashing every playbook because we are in, you know, unprecedented times. It's a warlike scenario here in America and in other places of the world. But, you know, even in a war type of thing, I can't imagine that you're like you're shutting down Las Vegas or you're shutting down the Kentucky Derby or you're canceling baseball. This really is unprecedented and we have to sort of just smash the rule book and all the content I had planned for the next weeks and months, it's gone. It's forget it. It's not relevant anymore. So I think there's a couple basic things. You know, I've been obviously counseling and coaching a lot of people right now. And I think the number one thing you have to think about is are you relevant right now in this moment? Do people still care about what you do? You know, from a personal example, last week, You know, I've got a client down in Miami. He contacted me last week. He said, hey, we're thinking about switching some of our social media stuff. We'd like to get you on a call. I said, great. What day works for you? Never heard back from him. So I circled back, sent him an email, 
said, hey, you know, I wanted to make sure I, did, I didn't miss something. Did you want to set up this call? He said, well, Mark, our entire world is upside down and our supply chain is shot. We can't get enough trucks. Our customers are in chaos and we're in crisis mode. Now, five days ago, I was relevant and today I'm not. Hmm. And so we have to reframe our businesses, our skills, and our core competencies to be relevant in this moment, at this time, okay? And that's hard, but we really have no other choice because we have a new economy right now. We have a new country right now. Our customers have an entirely new set of unmet and underserved needs. So here's an example of something I think that represents transcending what was last week. I got an email the other day from a rancher in our county. This is someone that grows cattle. And he said, I know that you enjoy visiting our local restaurants here, and you're not going to be able to do that. I will bring our steaks to you. Now, here's a guy. It's a B2B business. He's a cattle rancher. And here's how he's meeting the needs of the moment, because We've got people stuck in their houses. I've self-isolated. We've sort of locked down. I was at our store the other day. They're out of meat. Yeah, out of everything. You know, they're out of everything. <laughs> and this guy's saying, I'll help you. I'll bring it to your door. All right? So he is reimagining his business in the context of what's going on right now. I think the other big point that we need to think about is that people are grieving and we have to approach the world and our customers in this context through a lens of grief. Every single person we know has lost something big. It's been so powerful and overwhelming sometimes to me as I talk to people and try to, to counsel them and coach them. And you know, one lady I talked to is just in crisis because she's losing all her customers. And talk to a guy that has an upscale men's store. He's had this store for 75 years. It's been in his family. He can't pay his employees right now. I talked to another person, her mother, her 92-year-old mother is in a convalescent home and the convalescent home is locked down. She can't visit her mother where a lot of people are, or have to work at home with kids crawling all over them, right? <laughs> We're losing our social network. We can't go to church we can't go to the store. We can't go to the pub. We've lost our freedom. So everybody has lost something big and it's going to take weeks to get over this. And so we have to use this filter of grief. And the question I ask people is how would you sell something to somebody at a funeral? Mm. <laughs> right? Would you give them a coupon? You yeah. know, and expect would you to use say, it? hey, I've got this online class and I'm cutting the price by 25%. This is how you talk to someone at a funeral. What can I do for you right now? How can I help you get through your loss? My, you know, me and my business are here for you in this moment. What can we do to help you? And, and that is where our customers are right now. Everyone is, is they're in grief. Provide grace to those people. You know, we have to love on these people. And that's what will create the long-term loyalty. We got to fight our way through this thing to the other side. And the only way to do that is to use this as an opportunity to do the right thing, even if it hurts, and to create this love and loyalty that'll be there on the other side. It's funny, you were talking about exactly what we've done as a company. And I'll give you an example of that. Actually, I'll give you two examples. 
two of my largest clients just quit in the last week. Both said, hey, listen, once again, crisis mode, we're freaking out, we're losing our minds. And I said, hey, guys, let's, let's jump on a call. You know, and I think what they thought I was going to do is like try to retain them. And hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, and I did, I, I jumped on a call with them and said, hey, I want to let you guys know, first of all, I understand why you guys are doing this. Is let me, you know, one of the guys had an investor that pulled out, totally get it. Another one was like, hey, we just like, we're really losing our minds. We lost four of our big clients. Mm-hmm. I said, I totally get it. I said, here's the thing, the way I look at this, what we've got going on is one, is if you have the resources, now is a good time to double up on marketing. I know it sounds weird. And I'm not saying you should do it with us. I'm just saying, keep this in mind that everybody else mm-hmm. is going to freeze buzzes and stops. You And so, you know, pay-per-click is going to go down. SEO is going to probably slow down. Then you can go ahead. I'm not saying you should do that. If you can't do that resource-wise, totally get that. I said, but even a bigger thing, I said, I'd be willing to jump on a call with you guys for, you know, an hour, half an hour. If you guys have any questions about how you guys can help sustain through this time, right? So I'm not here to try to keep you guys. I mean, I want to keep you as a client, but I'm not here to sell you on that. I'm here to listen. We're all going through a lot of stuff right now. And I understand that it's hard and you probably would love to be able to chat with me for a half an hour, an hour. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to jump on a call. And every single one of them was like, thank you so much. Like, I really thought you were going to try to tell us, hey, we have to go forward in this. I said, no, I said, we're all going through this together, right? Mm -hmm. We got to figure out what we need. And so it's just one of those deals, you know, I guess you just have to think about it from like, and I love the the funeral thing of like, God, like, what would I try to sell at a funeral? Like, there's not a lot of stuff you could sell at a funeral, right? That's not Mm -hmm. the right place or time. But you do have to think of that mindset of where everybody's at right now. Mentally is like, everybody's getting punched in the face, you know, and it's not the time to come try to sell them something or do a call and try to do this and do that. I think it comes down to being human. And like, what can I do to help you, right? Work or outside of work. I mean, I told them to reach out to me individually. Like, hey, if you guys are having a hard night or you're being isolated and you want to lose your mind, call me. You know, and most, that's a very humanistic side of things. But I wasn't doing that to try to get their business in a month or two. I was doing Mm -hmm. that because, listen, we're all human and we're all getting punched in the face from every angle. Every morning we wake up, it's 10 new things that are going on. And it's like, how are we going to deal with this as a community, as as the world? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, pretty trying times right now. Well, it is. And I think like you, my customers become my friends. Yeah, They're friends. They're people that I entertain at my house. And I've written some of my customers and just said, look, I am here for you. You know, you're my friend. I will literally do anything you need me to do to help you right now. I will be praying for you. Mm. Maybe that's the only thing you could do because I'm a thousand miles away from these people. But just to let them know, I am your friend. I am here for you. You're in my thoughts and we'll be here together at the end. And, and literally I would do anything to help my customers right now. And, you know, we just have to kind of band together because it's going to be a fight. You know, it's going to be a war to get to the other side. I mean, this is going to be the hardest thing that the world's ever had to deal with collectively. I yeah. mean, because you have wars, individual, this and that. And of course, mm-hmm. it sucks for communities and it affects a lot. But we're literally fighting something we can't see, which is scary, right? I mean, everything's shutting down because we're like, we don't know where this is coming from. It's highly contagious. It's mm-hmm. old people. Now it's younger people. Now we got this, we got deaths, we got all this stuff. And you know, you get people who say, oh, it's a small percentage. But it really, at the end of the day, if you look at how quickly it multiplies, that's the scary part. That's why they're shutting down everything. Right. And I'll give you another example of just the humanistic side of things. And I'm not saying this to brag, but this is just something that happened to me yesterday. I was actually going and pumping gas and I dropped my wife off at work because she's a nurse. And so she's, she works nights. And anyway, she's one of those people that's out there that's, you know, trying to wow. make this better. Yeah. It's a very yeah, good challenging time for us. Yeah. She's phenomenal. I got lucky, very lucky. She got a little bit lucky, but I got way luckier than, than <laughs> she could. I, I can, I can confirm that. Trust me. She could too, if she wasn't sleeping right now, but you know, and I was at the over there and I was pumping some gas and I had a gentleman come up to me, a homeless guy that came up to me and, and um, he says, hey, can you spare a few bucks? 
And usually in my mind, I kind of look at the individual. I used to always give money, but then I started to question like, oh, what is it for? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Like, you know, and yesterday I ended up giving the guy $20. And the reason why that was is because I thought, you know what? This guy's out on the street. He can't protect himself. Like literally he's helpless. Yeah. And not 100% helpless, but 99%. Like, I don't even know if he under, really understood what every, the, the magnitude of what was going on because it was quiet yeah. out. I mean, I'm picking, yeah. getting gas and people are looking at each other. And I gave him some money. Once again, not to say this is I'm a hero in that sense, but in the sense that I thought, you know what? We need to help each other. We really do. And this, this is bigger than marketing. And this is bigger. This is like, I think one of the good things, and it's a little early to talk about this, but I, I really like to look at the optimistic side of things and say, how is this going to bring us together as a community? I mean, how are we going to care for each other more? You know, and that's what's going outside of this marketing thing of like, because it's really everybody's dealing with it. You know, and you hear there's some stories like in Italy when they're singing outside and they're trying to bring that together. I mean, I've only been quarantined in my house for, I don't know, four or five days. And I'll mm. tell you at night, man, I'm, I'm not getting going crazy by any means, but the voices are getting a little louder. I'm like, man, this is going to be, and we're at the beginning stages of this. I mean, here we are. This is at the end of March. I mean, yeah. you know, as much as they think things are going to clear up, I'm telling you, we're months away from anything like that. This is worth the, the beginning stages of this. Yeah. One of my friends is about to be sort of locked in place in, in Boston. And he posted, well, you know, we've got 48 hours. You know, my wife and I are going out for a big steak dinner tonight. And I thought about that, too. I mean, I live right now in a relatively safe part of the country. I live you know, kind of out in a, in a country like suburb of, of Knoxville, Tennessee. And I thought, well, maybe we should just go out one more time and have that big dinner. And then you just think about, you know, first of all, I believe the, I believe the, the statistics that are saying that there's probably 600% or 700% more people that have it. And don't know. That are being reported because we haven't been oh, yeah. tested. It's probably, you know, everywhere. But the thing is, it's sort of just the thing I can do right now in this very helpless time is just stay home. You know, just yeah. stay home, lock it down. Don't be part of the problem. You know, a lot of people have told me, said, I'm just self-isolating because I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the person that, you know, is the epicenter of something. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, that's that's really all you can do with You know, we're talking about, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the little meme or whatever it is, a little picture they have of the match. Like all these are all lit up and yeah. then one match that goes down a little bit and that that could be you. You could be that person that's stopping that because the problem is we're touching this and doing that. I mean, I went to the grocery store yesterday only because it was my mom's birthday. So I had to get her card and some flowers because mm -hmm. I'm a mama's boy and that's just how we do it. And I'm, I'll tell you, man, there was, everybody was like five, six feet away looking at each other. And it's like this yeah. weird, you know, yeah. I was waiting to check out and had a guy that was like three feet from me. I looked at him like he was going to rob me or something. I mean, it's just such yeah. a freaky time right now. Just, yeah. you know, I don't want to be that person that's, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want to find out that Shane Barker was the guy that went and spoke here and did this and all of a sudden touched this mm -hmm. and touched that. And then everybody thinks, God, I was around Shane. And then, you know, my, my face is on the internet again for bad reasons. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy times, but. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. I was mad at somebody in the store the other day because they were whistling. <laughs> you can't whistle in my space. This is my space. It's oh, God. It's no You're whistling. blowing your breath all over me. <laughs> well, I mean, but think about this. See, I was raised by a nurse, so I'm, I'm not a germaphobe by any means, but I'm mm -hmm. definitely like I literally I mean, I was using hand sanitizer before, before it was cool and necessary. Right. I mean, I was always kind of that. So, yeah, now I'm, it's hypersensitive. Right. I was this was there's a terrible story, but it's like a week ago. So my son turned 21 and this was before we got kind of mandated to stay in your house. But this was definitely a little bit of a sketchy time. We got there early, a little things. My son was turning 21. So we go there and my allergies were killing me. I mean, absolutely killing me. Allergy medicine. And every time I coughed, 
you would have assumed that I like had brought out a hatchet and I was like, I'm going to kill everybody within 25 feet of me because everybody would look back at me. And I, I wanted, I thought I should have just bought a shirt that said I had allergies, right? That's really what I should have done. I just told people ahead of time and I'm coughing in my, you know, I'm doing everything I need to do on my side. And I wasn't close to anybody, but I mean, literally 20, 30 feet away. I mean, people were looking at me like, did he just spread something? And I'm thinking, man, we got to get out of here. Like we're, I'm going to get same. I've got a little bit of, I've got a little bit of asthma. That yeah. kind of gets triggered. Uh, you know, where I live, it, we have literally the highest pollen count in the country. Oh, you know, God. we just have so much stuff blooming here. And whenever that starts, the allergies start, the asthma starts a little bit. You know, I've been even coughing a little bit on your show. You know, I'm perfectly healthy, but if you have this tremendous guilt just coughing in public. Yeah. Cause, you know, everybody thinks, God, I mean, could that be it? You know, now they're yeah. saying it's airborne and all this other stuff. So, I guess the thing is, is, I mean, I, I think, really, you know, once again, marketing or not marketing, it really comes down to, you know, taking care of each other, you know, in this hard times, right? We just, it's like, you're going to get more and more information that's probably not going to be heading in that right direction. And I mean, I was watching, a, there was a Joe Rogan's podcast, just talking about, you know, a, a guy and there was like a disease detective, but he was, you know, worked with all the administrations. And he's like, well, how quickly do you think a cure is going to happen? And he says, that's happy talk. And so he mm-hmm. said, oh, Jesus, happy talk. Mm-hmm. Can we get more happy talk, even though we're lying to each other? I'm like, I, yeah. you know, it's just... It's crazy. So I think once again, I think you're doing your part and staying in and we're doing our part on this side of, like I said, I don't plan other than my mom's birthday yesterday to get some flowers, but now I'm going to be homebound and I, I plan to be this way for a few months. I'm even not at my office. I've got my podcast set up here at the house and, you know, we just got to do our part to, to stay out of the way and, you know, fig- hopefully get this thing figured out. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Well, cool. What other stuff? Let's talk about. I mean, obviously you've got, you know, so many different books and I want to, I do want to talk about at the end about where everybody can get your book. Talk about your consulting business. I mean, because I know that you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I know you work with some of the really big companies. I've actually seen you speak. I think we were in... Um, I don't know. There's been a few times that I've seen you speak. So talk a little bit about that. I want to kind of like get the audience to kind of better understand what you do on that side of things. Well, sort of like the progression of my career is I was so fortunate in my career that I worked for a great company. I spent most of my career with a company called Alcoa, which at the time was part of the Dow Jones Industrials. It's a blue chip company been around for more than 100 years, Fortune 100 company, and just an extremely well-run company. Mm. They had the best, tremendous bosses and mentors. They you know, always challenged me. I remember it was this weird experience that when I was, I was in this company, and I was like almost always the youngest person in the room. <laughs> and for the first 15 years of my career, I'd say I was just in this constant state of wondering, what am I doing here in this meeting? <laughs> but but what they were doing was pushing me. I mean, they mm. were just pushing me to see where I could go. So it was a great company. You know, they sponsored my graduate education. So I got to a point where you had never really done much writing, had never done really any speaking other than giving presentations in the company or something. And then 12 years ago, I started my own company. There was just sort of a, of a situation where the, my company wanted to transfer me to um, Switzerland. And I had a personal situation where I couldn't really move and sort of went back for six months and back and forth and just decided, yeah, I want to do something different. I want to stay here. I'm in a good financial position to try something new and started my own company. And the thing that really sort of took off was creating content, was blogging on a consistent basis. And it took me a while to figure that out because, you know, I was new to all this, but, you know, I was a consultant and a teacher. And back then, 2008, 2009, 
I really had to immerse myself in social media to be able to consult or talk about it and sort of started a blog on a whim. And it took me about nine months to realize that literally all the business benefits I was realizing were coming from that darn little blog. (laughs) So I kind of doubled down on the content and got serious about it, got consistent about it. And eventually the blog led to uh, books. People were interested in books. And, you know, I wrote the best-selling book on Twitter. And then I wrote the very first book on influence marketing called Return on Influence. It was in 2012 before people were even using that term. And then, you know, I wrote books on content and I wrote a book that I thought was on content that people said, this is the best SEO book I ever read, (laughs) which is called The Content Code. And so the books have done very well. And as the books gain a popularity, then that sort of gets people interested in, in my speaking. I was not a natural speaker. I was terrified, really, when I started out. (laughs) But I realized that if you have that opportunity to speak in front of a crowd, it's a wonderful way to really build your personal brand of, I mean, these are like-minded people who want to believe in you. And if you can stand up there and give them something awesome, then you're going to be creating new fans and people who hire you, people who who will buy your books. So I had to get over it. You know, I had to get over that terror. And eventually, you know, I did it enough times that I realized, okay, I'm not going to die. And I sort of developed this kind of funny conversational style. It's an unusual, quirky kind of speaking style, I think. But the audience feedback is usually, I paid attention the whole time. And that's unusual for me. And I learned a lot, but it was entertaining too. So, um, and then, you know, on the consulting side, it's just, I love strategy. You know, I think that's my gift as a marketer that I can sort of see things that other people can't see. I can see where the trends are going. And, and I have a pretty good track record of, of documenting that and saying, this is going to work or this isn't going to work or this is where we need to be. And so I've been able to help a lot of cool companies. I've worked with Microsoft and Dell for a long time, and I've done a couple projects for Adidas. I worked for the U.S. Air Force for a couple years. Recently, did a project for Chipotle. So yeah, I've really worked, been able to work with some very, very cool brands. And that's that might be my favorite thing to do is working on strategy because it's such a, it's so hard. Yeah, it's such an intellectual puzzle to figure out. But that's the challenge that I like. That's awesome. So talk about when you're speaking stuff. So how did you, I mean, other than just getting up, you know, a hundred times and figuring out, is there any, anything that you do now before you get up and speak? It's all probably pretty natural now, but was there any techniques, anybody that wants to be a speaker? I've gone through the same thing you have in the sense that usually about four minutes before I go on stage, I start going, okay, why are you doing this? What was the reason? Are you, are you drunk? Like who signed you up for this? Right. I go through this whole thing of like, and then usually 90% of the time I get up there and I, you know, I watch the video, I go, okay, I didn't look like I was like, you know, like I yeah. was scared. I wasn't crying on stage. So those are all pluses. Like, is there any techniques or anything you can give anybody that's listening? At the beginning, I would say for the first year and a half, maybe even two years, I literally was terrified. The audiences were getting bigger and bigger and they were kind of getting more and more sophisticated. And I can remember doing my very first, I mean, really big deal. It was a a marketing conference in Cincinnati, which is a big marketing town because of Procter & Gamble. And there were like 300 people there. And I remember just being backstage and I was like pacing back and forth, just terrified. And I had this realization that, okay, you're going to work. This is work. Why would you be afraid of going to work? 
that's stupid. This is what you've chosen to do. And people want you to do this. And this is an opportunity. So just go to work. And that seemed to help me. And the other trick that I used was I found that if you can get past the first two minutes, the adrenaline sort of takes over. And so what I would do is literally sort of memorize my first two minutes of whatever I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I always like to say something about where I am and who I'm with. And so if I can just get it out in a coherent way, if I can get through the first two minutes, I sort of relax and everything tends to be okay. Now, of course, I've been doing it for probably, you know, more than 10 years now. And, you know, now I'm very comfortable. I'm very confident on stage because I've just done it so many times and just like practice, you practice and practice and practice. And, and I do think it requires that. I mean, anybody who wants to be a speaker, you have to start out by being very humble. You just have to take anything you get. Don't worry about the money. Say yes to everything and learn and hone your craft because you're going to learn something every single time you speak. Something's going to go wrong and you'll feel confident that you overcame that. And then all of a sudden people want to, you know, maybe hire you for some little thing. So just start off small, be humble and, you know, the confidence will build. Yeah, I think it's, and that's what I always tell people, it's foundational, right? I mean, you're going to learn something every time you go up, there's going to be something else that's going to happen. People are going to ask some questions. I mean, my two things that I would recommend is tequila. And I also, I keep my zipper down. So there's something else to focus on other than me. So that way it's like, they can, no, I'm just kidding. That's not what I do. Living on the edge, baby. That's that's it. I'm always like, (laughs) he smells like tequila, but it was a pretty good presentation other than him smelling like tequila. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it is one of those things that it's just the first time sucks. The fifth time is a little bit better. The 10th is this. And then you get to a hundred and you're like, it doesn't even, I don't even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's, it's not easy. Speaking is not easy. It's not one of those things, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm a natural speaker. That's awesome. Cause 99% of us aren't right. Yeah. We go out there yeah, and go, no okay, way. no, I mean, it's cause it's super scary. I mean, obviously they, the whole thing they say is like, oh, it's, you know, scarier than death. Like I've, I've never died. So I can't fully confirm that, but I know him. But I think I, one time I came close. I think it was my 21st birthday, which is a whole nother conversation. But I've made it back like a soldier because here I am to talk about it. That's crazy. So awesome. So we got a little better idea about the consulting, the books. What other cool projects you got going on? I know this, obviously, the, the world stopped a little bit. But you got any cool stuff that you're working on in a book? I know you've got to have some notes in Evernote somewhere about a book or something. I know you never stop thinking. Yeah, I do have some ideas for a book. But you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, I mean, you've got to be really sure about it. It's got to be a big idea and a relevant idea because, you know, for me, writing a book is a, is a significant commitment and exhausting exercise. You know, I my book, Rock Marketing Rebellion, has been out for about a year now, and I picked it up the other day. I hadn't really looked through it in a while, and I just looked at the work that went into that thing. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can ever do this again. <laughs> it was so much work. Um, the thing that I'm really excited about right now is I've started a, a unique and interesting little event called The Uprising, because every rebellion starts with an uprising. Yeah, and In the process of writing the book, I mean, writing a book like Marketing Rebellion is like getting a master's degree. You know, I just did so much reading and so much research. And one of the things that had an impact on me was the power of bringing people together and really bonding in a a very special way. So I decided that this is something that I needed to do. And I used to have a big event that would get, you know, 600 people or 700 people. And it was just a blur and it was stressful mm. and there were just, it was just so big 
And I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't really get that much out of it. So I decided I wanted to do something small. So I've created a marketing retreat. It's limited to 30 people. We go into a lodge in the woods surrounded by hiking trails and gardens and ponds. And we're there for two and a half days. And we talk about the future of marketing and the future of business. And it's not presentation style. It really is like a retreat where we use the intelligence of the room to kind of teach each other. And we picked the topics that we're going to cover. And I had my first one last year and it was really, really magical. And I limited it to 30 people. So, you know, you, you really get to know everybody there. Mm. We And a lot of fun. We have hiking, we have yoga, we have gourmet food, we have music. So it's something that I'm really, really excited about. Unfortunately, because of the situation, I had to cancel the one that was scheduled for May but I've already got another one scheduled for October and I'm working on new dates for May 2021 because that is the most interesting and fun thing that I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's awesome. It's nice when you get people together like that, and especially because it's a non-stress environment, right? It's like, because events are hard. I mean, I've, I've ran a few events and it's just, you know, it is a blur. You get out of that thing and you're like, I don't even know if I made any money, but at this point I just have to heal from yeah. 49,000 fires that I just put out during this eight hour event. Like I didn't even know that many fires could start in that amount of time, you know, between speakers and everything else. There's just a lot of moving pieces. And once again, if you're looking to get something out of it, other than losing some hair or stress, that's a lot of the things that's what you get out of it. So I love that when you're kind of breaking it down and doing these smaller groups. And yeah, you know, people have said, oh, are you going to grow this? And I said, no, that's the whole point. It's going to be 30 people, period. Yeah. Because I don't want to make it bigger. That's the whole beauty of the thing that it's. Yeah. You know, something really remarkable happens when you just have that small group engaged in meaningful conversations. I remember uh, before the thing even started, it was like breakfast before this thing even started. And I was trying to go around every table and, you know, say hi. And I couldn't even break into conversations. It was like, this is, this was like marketing geek central. <laughs> and people were so just immersed in conversations the whole time they were there and just sort of committed to you know teaching and learning from each other. And uh, one guy told me, he said, oh, Mark, this is going to be a great conference. He said, I took five pages of notes at breakfast before it even started. I said, man, <laughs> this is going to be great. And it was. Well, and that's awesome. Another thing that also, it takes a little bit of stress from you because now you don't necessarily have to entertain and do this, right? It's like everybody has, it's like automatically that synergy is there and everybody's learning from everybody, which is the whole goal, right? It's not like, hey, there's one presenter, there's this. It's like, hey, we're here. You're going to have maybe 30 conversations and have 30 points of view. And like, what can we get from that, from some of the, the best minds in the industry? So I yeah. love that. I love that. That's an awesome idea. Hopefully, we'll, I'll hear more about it. Let, let me know about the next one. I'll have to, I'll get the word out. Or we actually, we don't want to get the word out. We want to keep it very quiet. So if you heard about this, don't mark. And there might be one bonus, bonus seat. You can find it on my website. It's, it's under events on my website. It's called The Uprising. And a lot of the people who were supposed to come in May have like moved over to October. But I, I think we have a few open slots left for October. And then, of course, I'll be able to post soon, you know, May 2021. Awesome. That's exciting. Well, Mark, I, once again, I appreciate you taking the time today. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, I mean, where can they pick up your books? Obviously, you've got your blog. Why don't you give us some information if people want to get in contact with you? Yeah. I mean, it's really easy to find me if you can remember businessesgrow.com. It's almost impossible to remember how to spell Schaefer. So that was out of the question. But if you can remember Businesses Grow, you can find my blog, my podcast, my books, and lots of other 
cool stuff to help businesses of every size. Awesome, Mark. Well, hey, man, once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And you guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it. And once again, this will probably not be the last time you hear this out of my mouth. I've got my course that I'm coming out with, uh, howtobeaninfluencer.com. Go check that out. Once again, that's if you're looking to, I say be an influencer, but more about being an entrepreneur and setting that up. It's based off of the curriculum that I did at UCLA. So once again, you guys go check that out. Uh, Mark, once again, thank you so much. Stay safe, my friend. And we'll be talking soon. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane.